0: Everyone has an X-factor. What is yours? In today's economy, if you don't stand out, you'll be left out. The good news is the greatest differentiator is you. Hi, I'm your host, Torin, with Become Famous for What You Do podcast. Here you'll learn how to discover, manage, and ensure your X-factor stands out in your business, industry sector, and community. Fame for fame's sake is not a topic but rather we talk about how to deal with the critics, manage fear and imposter syndrome, and provide tidbits to stand out with confidence and draw people in. When you become famous for what you do, you will thrive in life, wealth, and influence. So let's get started. Welcome to Become Famous for What You Do. I am so excited today to have one of my favorite people on. We have been working for a while on a book. Uh, it's Merrill Gladstone. Welcome. I'm so excited. <laughs> <laughs> we can't stop smiling because we have been hunkered down working. I've been privileged enough to be the editor of this amazing book, seeing it progress and seeing you as an author on this. So we're going to talk about that, talk about how you came up with this. Uh, You've been an amazing generational wealth strategist, giving advice to various places, and you have taken on a new asset class. And I remember when you mentioned it the first time, it's like, wow, how do we take this one on? And you've just tried to find a way to bring it down to earth for regular people like myself to understand crypto. So welcome. Thank you. Happy to be here. Tell us a little bit about your journey. How did you come to want to study cryptocurrency of all things? You have all the other asset classes you can work on and you decided on crypto.
1: So disruptive technologies have been really an interesting investment opportunity, generally considered high risk. I am a trustee, so I manage nine trust and entities. And so part of my job is to figure out what to invest in how to manage risk and how to grow assets over time. And when I went to my experts about crypto and blockchain and the tech you know the disruptive technologies of blockchain, the experts that I talked to and run things by really either didn't know or they're like, talk to the hand. It's not safe. (laughs) It's terrible. (laughs) There's no regulation. It's tulips. You know? And I understood their perspective. What I realized is they're not going to position any clients because they're very conservatively oriented, which I, that's their job. They were not going to position us to be prepared to step into or to benefit from the disruptive technologies that the blockchain affords us. So I took on studying cryptocurrency because that is what the product of blockchain at the moment. Right. So I said, well, if you're not going to teach me, I'm going to dive in. And a lot of some very smart people that I know that are more disruptors and creatives said, you got to do it. You got to do it. You got to do it. I'm like, no, 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 I don't want to do it. I finally i am like, all right. When I saw Bitcoin and Ethereum change and go from 500 to 1,000 to 5,000, they kept telling me, get in, get in, get in. I'm like, what is this crazy freaking, what's going on here? This feels like Vegas. But what inspired me is my responsibility is to figure out how to generate wealth over time. And I knew that blockchain was a technology that is going to define our economic future at some level. So I took it on to learn about it.
0: You did take it on. And I think what the listeners can really learn about is how you take on something you don't know. It was very fascinating to see your journey because it's been like, what, two years right now or a mm-hmm. year and a half? Uh, you've really- Like about two and a half years, I would say. Two and a half years, two and a half years. So- Tell us a little bit about it because you don't know anything about it and the experts that you have in your life don't really know anything about it. So
1: how do you, what did you do? Well, yeah, they, they either didn't know about it, didn't want to know about it, or were, were annoyed because they lost money because they bought it, you know, they bought it a cyclical time that was down or what have you. So I found a couple of mentors that were very safety and security oriented. And also had done very well in the space because they were called OGs, original gangsters. They got in at the beginning and they actually helped build some of the technology. So I found a couple of mentors that could really teach me, guide me and support me as a trustee to step in in a way that was safe and secure, as safely and securely as one can inside of a very disruptive, risky asset class. But quick question. How did you find the mentors? Like, what are your
0: criteria for finding a mentor? I think a lot of people right now feel lost. You're getting bombarded on online with anyone that says they know how to do it. A lot of people say they're the OGs. How did
1: you f- define your mentors? How did you find them? <laughs> so I have friends who are futurists and I saw stuff on YouTube, but rather than trust people on YouTube, because you know, 98% of people aren't going to give you the right information. I knew I had to find the 2%. I went to my friends who were very, very accomplished futurists, who were very much involved in future technologies. And I asked them, since I know nothing and they knew me well, how can I approach learning about this and who would be good to teach me? And one of them said, Well, I will, I'll teach you. She charges. And she said, I do these courses, very entry level beginning courses. And because I had taken another course from her, around audience building, you know, in the social media space, I knew how she thought and I knew how she structured curriculum. So I trusted her approach and I was fortunate. I went to my network and I found out who was the best and who was already accomplished in this space and that they had a proven record. And I saw what their record was. I didn't just take their word for it. I, When they told me what they did, I was able to go, oh yeah, that's what happened. I had to use my gut though, because it's, you know, it's a new area. There really are no tried and true experts. So I had to really go with my gut too. Just to recap what you were saying, which I think is so important is 2%,
0: looking for the 2%. I thought that was a really fascinating thing. Expand upon that because I believe a lot of times we get captured by someone that's very confident in themselves. And really what it's about is finding that 2%. Gauging the 2% is hard in this industry, but like you're saying, you listen to your gut and you look at the results, but how do you define the
1: 2%? If everybody's saying something, if the media is saying something, I look for the futurists that are actually looking beyond what's being said. So in my network, I have I surround myself with people that tend to be ahead of the curve in terms of information in that asset class. I seek them out. You seek out the futurists.
0: I do. I love that. So you're so the 2% are kind of the people that are not just caring about the now, but caring about the future. They're
1: creating the future.
0: They're creating the future. Wow.
1: So I don't care what asset class it is, and I don't care what's happening in the in the world economically. They are so plugged in. They're talking to the people that are driving these trends are driving these movements or driving these economic waves. Yeah. So I've made it a point to find people that are in the know and know what's likely to come ahead and can think through beyond what they know to see where they're headed. Because if they're responsible for generating wealth in an asset class, they have to think 10, 20, 30 years ahead. They must position themselves for anything while they are keeping their eye on the ball to, to to double their portfolio or expand or what have you or acquire more they're 10 to 20 to 30 year long-term thinkers and beyond sometimes they're multi-generational thinkers so that's who i've found and that's who i listen to wow and then getting them to want to
0: help you what do you believe is the quality of the mentee
1: they don't want to waste their time with people that are not going to be in action and are not going to uh, respond to their training Or their opportunities. So I make it a point to I have what I call mad money. (laughs) I love the mad money. (laughs) First of all, I manage asset classes and certain percentages go for certain things. But inside of that, I have my mad money in each little asset class. So I ask them what what they would need from me in order to work with me. And I'm very authentic, I'm very appreciative, I'm a good listener, and I'm a good, I'm a good learner. And I'm a good implementer. So they can trust that they're not wasting their time with me if they support me and help me to move me forward. And oftentimes, they'll have something for me that I can invest in, and they'll share with me why they're doing it and how it could work for me. They, but they never force anything. It's not about that. But I'm willing to look at what they have and go, all right, well, let me see if on its surface or on its face, it's something that would be good for me to step into.
0: I love the concept of mad money because no matter how little you make, you can set aside some mad money and feel like that is a portion you don't have to care about. And I love that because that's what I'm doing now, taking your advice. I haven't invested in crypto yet, but I've been reading up on so many books and everything. So I kind of feel like I know the intricacies of it, yet you won't know anything until you have actually done it. And I think what you're saying is the mad money. So what's a good percentage? How do you gauge the mad money and tell us a little bit about it? Because I think that can really make us more at ease when we go into
1: something we don't understand or that's new. So I consider that, which I don't care if I lose it. So if you're going to go and buy coffee for a month or two or five, or you're going to Starbucks, or you're going to go to Vegas for a weekend or two, how much money would you take and allocate to that? That you're not that you're going to allow yourself to be entertained by it. You're going to allow yourself to possibly win, and you're going to allow yourself to uh, to play full out. And whatever happens, you're okay with it. And you're not going to bag on yourself. You're not going to beat yourself up because you realize there are aspects that you cannot control. If it's new, disruptive, and unknown, not to mention our learning curve. You know, if we're at the beginning of it, even if we made the right move, we might make a mistake that might have a a loss, but I don't see it as a loss. I see it as investment in learning. And even if all I get out of it is the learning and I, then that's in and of itself a good, a good spend. So do you have a mad money story for us? (laughs) Oh my goodness. No names, no names, nothing, but do we have a story? (laughs) Well, yes, I definitely can give you a story. So I took $25,000 and I invested in a stock before it was on any kind of a stock exchange with the company. So I invested in a friends and family round and it was cryotechnology for transporting biological materials. So a lot of pharmaceuticals do these, these huge tests around the planet and billions are spent on transporting these seeds or these biological materials, these tests, billions are spent to transport them all over the world because they're trying to figure out viruses and vaccines and and animal husbandry. There's all kinds of applications for cryogenically transporting or frozen specimens. So I invested when it was, I think, 50 cents. That's kind of crazy, right? Like who does that? They said it would take five to 10 years well, it didn't. It took a lot longer. And it went through all kinds of imaginations and CEOs and fights. And, and it went from over-the-counter OTC stock exchange. Then it went to NASDAQ. And then they had a two-for-one split and a reversal. I mean, it was, it was like a freaking soap opera. But, but at, that, at that time, you know, I was like, all right, whatever happens, happens. That $25,000 turned into $1.5 million. But it took 25 years. No, sorry, it took 20 years and four CEOs later. And what's so funny is a couple of the CEOs that were replaced, their options expired. So they never ever got a penny. And I ended up making that 1.5 million. And I took, you know, I took risks along the way by buying them more here and a little more there. But yeah, when it went it went from a 50 cents to $90 a share. So that was a little, that's a mad money story that was one of the winners right so honestly here's another little tidbit just figure if you're going to do i call them cowboy investments i call them cat. right the yeah. mad money is a uh, isn't that funny i call them cowboy investments i always have <laughs> so if you've got That's 10 ca- yes. <laughs> if you've got 10 cowboy investments over the course of your life if two of them work if one or two of them work the other eight won't matter So for me, mad money can be $100, $1,000, $10,000, $20,000. You pick your mad money amount. But if you literally think, I'm going to take a shot on this. I like the technology. I like the team. I know it's likely to fail. But if one or two work, then I will 100x my money. I'll 1,000x my money. So fortunately, in our economic system, you can actually have some of those out of the ballpark wins. To me, it's worth it to give yourself some mad money. So that you can say, I'm going to take 10 of these in my life and I'm going to go for it while I'm doing my very calculated, very strategic, long-term conservative investing. I love that
0: story because it fits in with entertainment economics. I took that at the Institute of Media and Entertainment. And what they say is with films, you have a portfolio of 10 films, and then you will basically think that one to two of those movies are going to make the money. So you'd invest like between 10 to 25 million per movie. And then you would figure out that eight of them to nine of them are going to fail, but one of them will be a blockbuster. And so the mathematics are there for you. So let's go out and do some mad money. And now I think it's really key is let's go into the mad money of crypto. I love what you've done here. And Tell us a little bit about your experience of the wild, wild west of crypto. And her book is called Taming Crypto, which is really exciting. It's coming out June 20th. And we are really, really looking forward to that book. I have learned so much about crypto. Like I have read up on this before we started the book. I've read up about a year on it, the intricacies of it, but never really fully grasped it. And what Merrill has done is using the right brain, the left brain, using imagery, using storytelling to help me, someone that's a newbie in this, understand it in such a way now that I can actually hold the conversations and now feel comfortable actually using some mad money in this space.
1: So I took $100,000 and I bought Ethereum, I bought Bitcoin, and I bought Stablecoin. So that I could get started. I took the advice of my mentor. She said, take a percentage you can afford to lose. And she said, I want you to buy, I want you to buy up to eight Bitcoins, right? Not necessarily now, because at the time they were trading at 45, 50,000. She said, but I want you to buy eight in the course of your life. And then I want you to buy so many Ethereum. And I want you to have a bunch of stablecoin so that when the market goes down, you can basically dollar cost average, which is a standard strategy when you own a stock or any, you know, or, you know, in the case of digital assets, if you like it, what goes down, you can buy more and you can hold it. I said, okay. And she said, I think it's going to go to a million, but it's definitely going to go to a hundred thousand. So you can double your money. So. You know, Bitcoin's trading at, I don't know what it is today, maybe it's 30,000. So I'm still in the negative, but it didn't matter to me. I thought, this is a long-term play for me. And uh, so I'm going to do what she said. I'm going to position myself. And if Bitcoin is the rubbermaid of cryptocurrencies, then, you know, I'm going to make a point to acquire it. And she said, whatever you do, never sell your Bitcoin. So that is how I started. And then I took about $5,000 to buy a little of this and a little of that. She said, here's the high risk ones. Don't invest a lot, but I like the technology that it's based on. So what I got to learn about when I invested is what was the technology based on and why, what was the utility of it? And why was this likely to be something that would be worthy of investment over time? And I got to study that. So that's how I started. Wow. And so how would you define crypto? So there's blockchain. Technology, and then there's the cryptocurrencies. An easy way to think of it is when we got the internet, we got the internet, so it became the track that we could do things on, or it became the structure we could operate off of. And then we had websites that we could access through the internet, but the websites will come and go. So, blockchain, and there are multiple blockchains, but these are fundamental technologies that allow for the transaction of allow for transactions. And certain cryptocurrencies are developed to work with that blockchain, right? Each cryptocurrency has a blockchain. How I see cryptocurrency is basically kind of like a a website. How long will it be around? I don't know. Depends on what they're doing, what the utility is, and if it gets mass adoption. So that's how I see it. And Ethereum is special because Ethereum has a blockchain, but it also has a token connected to it. But it also is the, the coin that you have to use, you have to have a little bit of it to pay the transaction fees when you want to do trading for cryptocurrencies. So on many blockchains, Ethereum is the coin or the currency that they will allow to pay gas fees. So that has an interesting and unique utility, aside from being a coin. So it's it's interesting that has multiple functions, that particular, you know, that particular technology. I think that's so fascinating
0: because when I was getting into it, you think a coin is a coin, but it's not a coin. And I think every one of them has different personalities depending upon the technology that it's based on. So when you're in this, I would love for you to talk about how do you see this as the Wild West.
1: A lot of people in this space think of it the Wild Wild West of crypto. So for me, that made a lot of sense because there are so many. There have been so many shysters in the space. There's been so many people that have basically used the technology to create. A coin or a token, and they've manipulated the market to get people excited about it, and when they got hype about it, they were able to create it at a price, get it all hyped up, get a bunch of people buying it, and then they would basically sell out of their position and get the heck out of dodge, and then basically leave a bunch of investors screwed over, if you will, right? So there are a lot of people that have done that. They're called uh, cryptojackers or bandits in my world. What they do is they create pump and dump coins. These pump and dump coins are really basically ways to steal your money. So it's wild west because you don't really know what coins are developed with utility, with the correct intention by quality people that are interested in, in having blockchain work more effectively over time and create test use cases for it to really work and to move, to move our society forward. And how many people are basically just thieves and want to steal your money because, and you're, you know, because you're naive and ignorant, you don't know better. Then you heard about something on discord or telegram you get all excited, the new coin. So there's just, it's a wild West. It's kind of like, there is no sheriff in town. There are no regulations really. And a lot of people get away with a lot of bad behavior. So there are bad actors and kind of like, you know, bandits that on the wild West that are go out and just steal people's, you know, take over stagecoach and steal their coins. So for me, that's what it's like. Well, let's get into the book then, because this is such a fun. I remember being,
0: I am still the editor, but I was a very strict editor because I wanted it to be marijuana to write a book about crypto and how we're going to do it. And then she was going to use this story called the FOMO family. And I'd love for you to tell a little bit about the FOMO family. And I was (laughs) anti-FOMO, fear of missing out. (laughs) And after a while, I got bitten by the FOMO family. And help me understand crypto. So I'd love for you to tell us a little bit about how you came about using the FOMO family and the Wild West to tell us about crypto. So
1: I was going to call the book The Wild, Wild West of Crypto, but we came together and figured out that taming crypto was just a much easier name to remember. But as I was thinking about how could I explain what's happening in this crazy world of cryptocurrency and blockchain to the average person. And I thought, well, it's like the wild, wild west. So why don't I just play with this idea of going into a new frontier and treating it like the wild west and telling a story? So I was working with my go-to guy for everything, Zach, and we were brainstorming, well, what could we call the main characters? Because I want to tell the story. They go there, right? They got to go on this journey and they got to take this trail and they got to over, you know, and there's no sheriff in town and they got to overcome banshees and bandits and rug pullers. Like my, my mind was just going crazy. So we're thinking about a name, thinking about a name, and Smith, Jones, I'm like, FOMO. I don't know why they came. I'm like, oh my God, that's it. I'm going to call them the FOMO family. And the reason I came up with that is because fear of missing out FOMO is a common term that is in the, you know, that I hear all the time by people that are in the space, right? A lot of them have a gambler, I call it having a gambler's heart. So a lot of the people that started out are kind of gangster, right? Or they're revolutionaries, or they're anarchists, right? They don't want to miss out on anything because they feel like this is the future. So everybody's going from here to there to this show to that show because everybody wants to learn because the technology is going so fast. So that's when I came up. That's when I thought, oh my gosh, the FOMO family, this is hysterical because people in the world feel like they are afraid of missing out. What if I don't get it right? What if I don't find my way? What if missing out will really impact my life, right? or my fun. So that's how I came up with the FOMO family as uh, the characters.
0: What I like so much about it is that there's four of them with four different personalities. I'd love to put a plug in. We're going to put in the show notes, the survey, we have an investor survey. What kind of investor are you? So you kind of took the different investor personalities that you've seen with the FOMO family going on this journey and they encounter the Wild West. Tell us a little bit about that.
1: What I decided to do was create this world where they have to go and they want to become ranchers. So they're in the main city, something terrible happens, and they have to make a choice. The choice is they either stay and suffer and figure out life as they know it, and it will be miserable, or they go into the perilous new frontier with the intention of setting up a ranch or a ranch and a farm, but a ranch. And they, of course, are going to need to go get to their ranch safely. And they're gonna need to bring horses onto their ranch and put them in a corral so they can begin to, you know, become ranchers, newbie ranchers. They have to go to the auction house and bid on their horses, and then they gotta get their horses across the trail, and then they gotta deal with all the people that are resentful that they wanna leave, leave behind city and all they know. So I tell this story and, and they and every character is an investor type, right? You've got the more conservative. Character. Then you've got the one who's more of a gambler, and you've got the other one who's already got ranch operations on the frontier and they're doing really well. And they're mentoring the newbie ranchers. So I created a whole mentoring structure inside of the book. And then I also created a guide who would help them make it along the trail and keep them out of harm's way. But that goes a little bit awry in the story.
0: It does go awry. And what it really teaches you is the mental framework you need to have when you're investing it's funny it's a fun story and it just made me understand like i could talk about hard wallet soft wallet which are certain components of storing the bitcoin understanding the pairs of trading it's really fascinating how by the end of the story you're kind of understanding oh wow i get it and then you've got part two where you're saying now you're going to go on to the frontiers. so step one step two step three step four And what I love so much is by the end of that book, I now feel so comfortable of investing and getting everything ready. It's been very interesting how and I didn't like the FOMO's. I was like, I was restricting Zachary and Meryl. We're not having any more FOMO's. And then it just exploded. I was like, and then suddenly I sat down with the book because I was saying it because it just didn't make sense. But when I actually sat down and read the book, read the notes, uh, read what you guys had, what you had written. I realized, wow, I'm understanding crypto because of the FOMOs. I'm understanding crypto because it's in a story. So it's so hokey and funny and laughing, and you're laughing at yourself because I'm the more conservative investor, right? I'm like, I I don't take much risk, and at the same time, if you don't take risk, it's a risk itself, right? So it was just so
1: fascinating that a story could give so much. Thank you. I mean and every word and every story and every experience speaks to you know what kind of mindset do you need to even go onto the frontier? What do you need to be careful for? What do you need to make peace with that there are going to be risks, right? And you are going to incur losses that you can't possibly foresee, right? You just have to steel yourself so that you can take a bigger view while you're making it, right? It's like, how do I see the forest while I'm in the trees? Each character grows and develops. They start out as immature and newbies. And then over time, as they go through these experiences, they become stronger. And at the end of the day, they end up trusting themselves as they learn and they navigate these situations, which in the world of investing in our new economy, there are futurists that can predict the future. They're in the one and 2% but and unless we're futurists and I highly recommend we step into developing our futures our futurist skills a little bit if we can but short of that how do we position ourselves so whatever happens we are as well positioned as we can be and we don't turn in on ourselves as things happen that we might not have predicted how do we stay more agile and nimble and that's another really lesson of the of the journey is how do we stay nimble no matter what happens and stay together and move forward toward the end goal, which was getting a ranch in the different parts of the frontier and getting there safely.
0: And the ranch is basically your soft wallet, which is your digital wallet to store your coinage. And then the goal is to get it into the hard wallet, which is offline wallets. So yeah, I have to say, I was really surprised at how much I liked it. And then having the framework afterwards, step-by-step me following the FOMOs. But what I'd love to touch base on as you go out into the frontier, one thing I've learned from you is to have mad money, but the FOMO family didn't have mad money because they lost everything and they had to go no matter what. But what kind of an advice would you give or what have you learned by going into a new asset class in the frontiers? Do you have some tips, lessons, something that people can really ponder on?
1: Whatever we do, due diligence is important you know, if you're going to go into a new asset class and if you're going to go into this digital asset class, then have a plan before you do anything. Even if it's a little plan, like I just want to buy Bitcoin and hold it for six months and put in your security measures. So you're going to transact on an exchange and you're going to ideally transfer those assets to a a soft wallet or a hard wallet. So there are security steps that you want to take and learn about before you even go on to an exchange. You even want to figure out what exchange you even want to go on. So for example, Coinbase is a publicly held company in the United States. However, Kraken is an exchange that's never been hacked. So you really want to, and we talk about this, you know, we're doing trainings on on presenting this information, but you want to really do some due diligence, slow down, don't be in a rush and go what, you know, identify what exchange do I want to trade on? And have the wallet organized ahead of time so that after you make your trade, you have a wallet to move it into. And you want to have your security settings on the wallet set up well, whether it's a soft wallet or a hard wallet. Most people begin with a soft wallet. And then if they do want to become uh, long-term holders or they want to take on more cryptocurrencies, then they'll have a hard wallet, which allows them to hold things on a device that's offline, that's not connected to the Internet. The soft wallets are always connected to the internet. And that is where hacks occur when something's connected to the internet. The internet. So essentially, do your due diligence on anything you're going to do. Have your wallet set up ahead of time before you buy anything. Have a plan before you even set up a wallet. And it can be very basic and you can always shift it the next day. But,
0: And that's what I really liked about the book for the listeners, if you want to learn more about it, is is that you've created a system of security, checklists of security, right? So what's interesting is creating a pattern. What I like so much about it is create a pattern on how you're going to come up with a password, create a system on how you're doing it so you're doing it at the same time. And this reminds me of, like, I don't lose my keys. And the reason why I'm not losing my keys is I do the same thing every single time. And when I get a little bit stressed, I will, and if I'm not out of, pat, what happens is my brain goes into my pattern without me forgetting it. So I'm like, oh my God, I forgot my keys. And then no, it's exactly where I put them in, exactly the pattern that I've created for myself. And what I really like about the book is you're giving ideas on how to create a security pattern so that I won't forget my password, like those nightmare stories where there's billions of dollars because you don't remember your password, right? And you can't retrieve your password.
1: Well, and I actually, there's going to be, um, there's an expert that we're going to bring into our mix here who's created a technology where you never have to remember your password again. It's a special wallet and it does special things. He came out of retirement to build this and it's fantastic technology. And we're going to be one of the first ones to talk about it in our book so that you don't have to remember but uh, you make a very good point. So in terms of, I'm going to give everybody one tip here. When you create a password and when you, when you have what is called the seed phrase, so when you set up a wallet, they'll give you 12 words and they want you to remember them in a particular order. We never take pictures of those on our phone and we don't keep them on our phone. We do not keep them in the cloud on our phone. What I do for my passwords is I have a thumb drive that I've got connected to my computer. And I keep my passwords on the thumb drive, and I have two, so I have the thumb drive, and then I have a backup thumb drive. So I always have two thumb drives, and I have LastPass, and LastPass has a very complex password. So I will also keep passwords in LastPass, but I don't keep them on my contact list because that is accessible, and anyone, if you're at a hotel or you're on public Wi-Fi, people can get into your, uh, they can get into your contacts, they can see. Your passwords, they can go on your, uh, if you were online on your Coinbase account, they can go on there. Also, they, so I don't really understand how that works. All I know is it's a security risk. So, in terms of how you keep your passwords, that's really, really important to do it well as a habit, as you said, so that you're not exposing yourself unnecessarily to, you're in a hotel lobby and someone comes and they're like stealing everybody's stuff right there with their special devices. You know, they're the bandits, right? The banshees that are out there. To take our horses. <laughs> so I would definitely recommend
0: you guys get the book. We're gonna have a course possibly on May 17th for people for the pre-launch of the book, like a short one that we're hoping to set up. We'll put in the show notes also a survey, because I'd really recommend you take the survey to understand what kind of investor you are. It's, there's something about having an awareness of who you are and understanding what I like about the book too is going in me being the conservative, so I'm more like Joseph, the father, who's very conservative, doesn't do anything and says no. (laughs) Uh, I'm understanding Joseph much better, having taken the survey, understanding myself in the components of it, right? So uh, you have that. But looking back right now, as a second-time author, you were a best-selling author called GPS to Joy. And now we have this book that's getting a lot of traction even before Before it's even published, which is very exciting, some of the top level people within the crypto space are very interested in the book to use that for their friends and family to teach. What has your experience been like on this journey?
1: Two parts fun and one part frustrating, right? You know, because I I call myself the glitch queen. So if there's a glitch to be had in terms of trying out a new wallet or trying on a new exchange, I find the glitch right? I literally have to call my cybersecurity experts. To go, Oh my God, what did I do? Get me out of this. And I'm like thinking, all right, universe, what's up with this? How come I keep getting glitched out of, this? you know, like what's up with me and glitches, right? But honestly, it's given me everything I need to continue to learn and to make the book a, a really a, a better step-by-step guide so that you're not going to have those glitches because I already had them to the best of my ability. So it's been fun. It's taken me into new worlds. I've gone to conferences I would have never gone to. I've gone to, you know, and I've been, I've, been keynotes, I've been a keynote speaker uh, on a Web three Web three LA event, and I've been in Austin. I've been in Norway. I did a presentation in Norway on the book and on, on crypto and why it's important or, or why it's important to know about it and how you can use it when you travel as an as an additional way to get money if the banks don't work. Right, So it's been an adventure. I've been in my own journey, on my own trail, in my own Wild West, in the world with this. And I think
0: what I love so much as we're coming to a close, it was great because we have had an editor on. We've particularly taken on this first phase of the editing to have people that are towards the target audience that don't know anything about crypto. And so the one editor says, well, okay, I have crypto, but how can I buy anything from crypto? <laughs>
1: And I would love for you to tell the story about what we did. (laughs) So, yes. So Torin gave me the assignment to go out there and go attempt to buy anything with crypto. So I got a new wallet, had a few glitches, finally got it to work. And so I put $50 of Bitcoin on a wallet that took four hours to get onto the wallet. So I'm like, okay, we're not using that wallet when we do our courses. So I go out there and I go to... Nation, BMW. And I say, you know, because I was like, can I? So I go there and I said, can I buy a BMW using cryptocurrency? And they looked at each other, right? So uh, they said, well, not that. No, I don't think so. And I said, well, I heard I could buy a Lamborghini in Newport Beach with crypto. They, Oh, yeah, yeah. You can go to the Lamborghini dealership and you can buy a Lamborghini with crypto in Newport Beach. But no, you can't buy a car. So I went to this, (laughs) I went to this gas station that said they had Bitcoin and they had a Bitcoin ATM machine. So I go there and the Bitcoin ATM machine is by the other ATM machine, which is by the bathroom, which is by the cashier. I'm like, oh my God, this is, I don't even know how to buy Bitcoin out of a machine, but this was horrific. So I say to these guys, can I use crypto to buy gas? And they looked at me and they said, "Uh, no, you can't. I'm like, why do you have a machine here? go, I don't know. It's just here, right? So, <laughs> so what I learned is that there's something called, like, for example, Juno, where you can set up a bank account and you can get a debit card and you can buy crypto all inside of that. And you can buy, uh, you can buy gift cards from the Juno card, or you can actually use the Juno card, which is an ATM debit card. So you still have to have a debit card. There is no magic wand when it comes to using crypto to buy anything where we are in the United States. So right now it's pretty much impossible. And the people that said they did, like we tried to buy pizza with crypto. They said, we take crypto. We called them up and oh, we no longer take, no, you can no longer give us Bitcoin for pizza. So, so the way at the moment is you buy a bunch of gift cards and then you can use the gifts using your crypto. And then you, so, yeah, you know, so now you got like 10 gift cards you're carrying in your pocket to go buy your Starbucks coffee. So it's very, at the moment, very impractical and cumbersome.
0: Impractical and cumbersome, and yet it's the time to invest in it. And why Why would you say that?
1: Some of the people in the space feel that if you're 60 or over, that you don't really want to invest in it. It's too volatile. But I say if you are in your 20s, your 30s, your 40s, to invest in it will give you familiarity with how to function with blockchain. So if you go and buy a little bit of Ethereum and you put it in a wallet, you get the experience of what it means to have your wallet you know, on your phone, You know what it means to, um, send, to send Ethereum to your cousin or to your mother, right? Because you learn about how you transact peer-to-peer. So one of the differences between cryptocurrency and regular dollars is if I want to send you $20, I send it from my bank, which is using the bank as the intermediary intermediary for you to get the $20. But if I use my wallet and I send $20 from my sending address, to your receiving address to your phone, there's no intermediary. And now you have 20 ETH that you can use, and now you can trade other cryptocurrencies, which you can then trade back into dollars. So I meant to say that's another way you can actually use it is you can make an investment in cryptocurrency, Then you, you know, you make a gain, then you can trade it back into U.S. dollars on an exchange, and then you can put the dollars back into your bank account. And I've done that. That's why it's good to practice it and get to know sending and receiving addresses and and take a little bit of money just to begin to get our head around the different way of transacting in this new economy that's coming. And you think it's coming? It is. Blockchain is not going away. You know, I've gone to a lot of conferences. I've spoken to high-level corporate executives with multinational companies that are using blockchain technology to have more efficiency in their operations. They've already done it from for sourcing to verify and confirm the quality that the transactions are are done according to their uh, contracts. Uh, so they've used you know the smart contract technology structures in order to have a verification system. It's transparent. Anyone can look and see and verify that something occurred because it's, it's recorded as a record on a ledger, on a digital ledger. So it's not going away. It's going to make it easier to buy a house. It's going to take away the need for title companies. It's going to take away the need for uh, brokers potentially. With the blockchain technology, it's able to pull from records That exists and it's able to verify records. So it's going to disrupt a lot of technologies and how we do things. And we won't even know we're on a blockchain very soon. So we won't even know. We'll have a debit card and we'll have no clue. Is it using a bank or is it using a blockchain? So yes, it's not going away. And when it becomes more seamless where we don't know, that's coming. And of course, we have this idea of a global of a CBDC. So it's a centralized bank central coin, which is a digital coin. Versus a dollar, so that has been developed, and the banks have applied and have received, I think, 350 patents around their own banking coin, which is also digit, you know, digitized coin. So it's not going away; it's being developed and it's being adapted at the highest levels and institutions. Even Visa and Mastercard, they are ready to go. It's just nobody's, you know, nobody's said uh, opened up the gates. So they're positioned to go into a fully digitized world that includes digital assets as well as fiat. So when we talk about fiat, which is actually
0: the money that you're holding, do you think we're going to move away from from that or do you think they're going to be coexisting?
1: I think they're going to be coexisting. So we're going to have our dollar. You know, you've got the euro, you've got the dollar, you've got the peso. These are all currencies that are government created. They're governed by the government and they're not going to go away. I think that the digital dollar and the regular dollar I think that they will serve different purposes and they may even become transferable. Will the dollar be entirely replaced? If it will be, it's not going to be for a long time or you know we're, we don't have the mindset currently without a huge disruption to go right from the dollar to a digital coin. So I don't think it's going to be like that. I think it'll coexist. I
0: love that you say that cuz I was so surprised When you took that trip of going out to buy with Bitcoin, how hard it was to buy with Bitcoin, how hard it was to buy with crypto. And it was such a revelation to me that we're not even there. We're not even close. And to get that is going to probably take three to four to five years, if not longer, unless we have a disruption like a war, another pandemic that might move it forward. But, yeah, I totally, I totally agree with you on that.
1: And that's why, you know, we're already used to using debit cards. So MasterCard and Visa are already you know, they're already creating alliances with these crypto based cards. And there are cards now that are hybrid cards that allow you to custody your dollars as well as your cryptocurrency in the same in the same ecosystem. So when that more of that happens, then maybe Bank of America will do the same thing. You can have your dollars and then you can have your you know, you can have your Bitcoin and you can have your Bank of America digital coin. So now we're going to have more currencies, but we're not accustomed to that. So that's why I think it's important to start to learn about it. To just, even if you don't ever buy any cryptocurrency, if you don't buy it, just to get familiar with what is a wallet and what is blockchain and what companies are starting to use that technology that allows for more efficient engagement and tracking and allows for the priorities of the corporations to be tracked on the blockchain. Like if they say they're going to have fair labor practices, the blockchain will verify that they are. The blockchain will also verify that they're not. So there's more accountability that's possible with with using blockchain. That right now everything's kind of held in secret, right? But blockchain is fully transparent. Transparent, that's
0: why our um one of the people I had on the podcast, Scott Martin, who's a futurist, within the marketing space that we're in, we're entering the trust economy more so than ever before, because everything's going to be built on trust because they're so transparent. You can't do anything.
1: Do you mean the you trustless economy? Do you mean trustless? Meaning you don't need people to verify or does he call yes. something different?
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, it's interesting. You're defining trustless in the way he would define trust economy, right? That the whole mechanisms of technology is creating things where everything has is trustworthy. It's embedded in it. You can trust the technology, and by trusting the technology, people are going to have to match up to that and be trustworthy.
1: Well, I prefer that distinction. The distinction that I um, read about, is they call it trustless, which means that I don't have to trust you. I can just look at the blockchain, and if it's there or it's not, so I no longer have to depend on you. I can depend on that transactions are verified, and I can see it for myself. So, trust economy or trustless system, it's the same thing. And it it can really impact and stop corruption.
0: It can. It really can.
1: Whether companies want that or not, or governments want that or not.
0: (laughs) (laughs) But coming to a close, I always like to say uh, this show here we have is We want things to become famous. We want this book to become famous and to really help people. What is your vision for the book and what made you write this in a way? for the people that are out there? What was what, what drove you to do
1: this? So in my world, this book is a bridge book. This book will allow anyone who knows nothing about crypto or has a negative experience or is crypto curious to actually understand how it fundamentally works with the blockchain. So my vision for the book is it actually is not only a teaching tool that can support a lot of different Courses and different learnings. It also will be a community. So we'll have the FOMO family club. We'll have the FOMO family social club. So we're going to have different communities where people can come together and they can. We can learn together. We can talk together. We can. I mean, we imagine there's going to be a bunch of crazy characters in the book. We'll be able to share in the characters. We'll be able to play, you know, different games and things with the book. Uh, so I imagine a whole ecosystem everything from the book all the way to an entire, you know, metaverse. Really, it's it'll it's, it'll be a, a tool for the mass market to be able to gently, with the kind of a delight, learn about the future technology, and then they can choose how they want to participate in it, even if all they do is become a member of the FOMO Family Club.
0: Right. So you can become a member of the FOMO Family Club. But I do believe there's a deeper... Sense of this that you have a vision for safety and a vision for due diligence. I don't know if you want to tell a little bit about that because I do believe what I got really touched about the book, it's not just about learning about crypto.
1: No, you're right. We're in a digital world. Thank you for bringing that up. We need to become more trained and aware of what we need to do in order to secure our accounts, secure our data, and A lot of things have been done without us knowing it. So we need to become more aware of what's being done and choose what works for us and what what doesn't. So for example, even Amazon, all your purchases are public unless you adjust the settings to make them private. For example, like who knew that? So literally becoming present to and trained in, how do we create our settings where we are in charge of what, is exposed and what data is collected and how we transact. And we set limits on that, you know, set limits on our wallet so that only so much can be transferred at once or only certain emails are allowed to access our assets. So the, these things are not auto- automatic. They're not intuitive. They need to be learned. And if we don't do it, then we'll continue to be led and taken where people In the know, want us to go versus us standing in our sovereignty, being responsible for our own security, and doing what we can in order to, you know, manage that currency of our data for ourselves.
0: What a great ending! Thank you so much for your time, Meryl. It's been a privilege being an editor of the book. It has taken me on a FOMO journey, and it's uh, helped me learn about myself, my investor type, but also given me uh, the comfort to use my mad money on investing in that. That's a big leap for me because I can use a lot my head and and be like Joseph FOMO, who's the father, wanting to learn all this stuff, but not take action. You're kind of my Emily, forcing me into the frontier. So, And you'll get to know that more when you read the book. So we'll have a link to pre-buy the book. We'll have a link to the event and a link to the survey and where you can find Meryl as you can continue the converse and be part of the FOMO universe. So thank you.
1: Yes. And I say, you know, there's no rush. It's the beginning. The joke is we have FOMO, but there's no FOMO to be had at the moment. I mean, yes, it's moving quickly, but you know, take the time to ground yourself and to learn and to feel comfortable and you'll know what's right to do and not do, but blockchain is part of our future. That's great.
0: Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to Become Famous for What You Do podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, rate, and review on your favorite pod platform. If you'd like to connect with me on social, you can find me at TorinB or becomefamouspodcast.com. Thank you for listening.